And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast, your chance to really find out more about the great podcast available at EWTNRadio.net. Just click on our Podcast Central section. And this week, we're going to celebrate something a little special. It is the 90th birthday weekend for Father Benedict Groeschel. And while it's been almost 10 years since his passing, his teachings continue to ring in our hearts and inspire us. So we want to celebrate with some of his great teachings this week. We're going to dive right in as we celebrate his life by first and foremost spotlighting born Robert Peter Groeschel on July 23rd of 1933 in Jersey City, New Jersey. He was the eldest of six kids, and Father Groeschel also went on to start his ministry as an ordained priest in 1959. Now, he also has shared his teachings throughout the world, as well as a staple for EWT and Global Catholic Network. And as we look back on his encouraging words, we start the show on the subject of the Holy Spirit, what it means in our lives, and we go straight to Father Benedict Groeschel's teachings now on this week's Catholics Coast to Coast. Hello, I'm Father Benedict Groeschel of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal in the South Bronx, and this is the 13th and last segment of our series on the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine. Now this has been a fairly theological series. I wish I had time to review all the marvelous things that the Holy Spirit does for us, but today I must turn my attention to the Holy Spirit and our promise of eternal life. Everybody has to be interested in what happens to you when you die. Do we lose everything we have? Is everything meaningful that we ever owned or were or possessed or knew gone? Is there only oblivion? Or if there is life after death, what is it like? Is it like No Exit, that awful, frightening play done by Jean-Paul Sartre, where hell is a hotel room with three people who insult each other for the rest of eternity? Or is it that magnificent vision given at the very end of the book of Revelation, and I saw the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God like a bride dressed for her wedding. What's it like? Is it beautiful and glorious? Is it dark? Is it frightening? Everyone must be interested. The Christian message on eternal life is given not only by Christ himself so many times in the parables and in his own claim that he is the resurrection and the life and that he goes to prepare a place for us that when we die we can come and be with him. But the great, great theologian of life after death and eternal life is, of course, St. Paul. Probably the oldest complete document in the New Testament is the first epistle of Paul to the Thessalonians, written around the year 50. The other documents were, I'm, I'm, I feel certain, in the course of developing already the, the Gospels, other writings. But the first complete one, apparently, according to the scholars, is First Thessalonians. And it's a document about life after death and the apprehension that these Christians in Thessalonica had about those who would die before the second coming of Christ. And so St. Paul 
so often turns his attention to life after death. And I, I could have picked out a hundred quotations. I, I could do a whole series just on St. Paul and life after death, and it would be more than 13 segments. But let me choose something here that emphasizes in St. Paul the role of the Holy Spirit in our life after death. Now you may recall in an earlier segment we talked about the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. And we identified the flesh as self-centeredness, seeking one's own apart from any relationship with God or the welfare of others. That's the flesh, even if it's a kind of spiritual thing. And the spirit is everything in our lives related to our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Sanctifier, to God. And St. Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God really dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit who dwells in you. The promise of eternal life comes because the spirit is already dwelling in our integrated, unified being. You know, you don't have your soul here and your body there. When we're alive in this world, we're a single, unified being. Death separates the material from the spiritual. And St. Paul promises that we will have life after death and that eventually this body, in some mysterious way, will take part at the resurrection of the dead in the eternal life in God's kingdom to which we are called. Now, this is an important thing. I, I've been very blessed to have received the gift of faith, of fervent faith, very young in my life. I hardly ever missed on any day going to Mass since I'm 14 years old. Religion has been the most real defining thing in my life, and I couldn't think of life without it. But I'm intensely grateful to God for that, because without his grace, I would have gone off completely in the wrong direction. I'd be living like somebody who didn't know whether there was life after death, and seeking myself, seeking the flesh, probably in some rather sophisticated way, possibly as an unbelieving psychologist, which is a pretty awful thought. But, but I got this gift early. You may get it later in your life. You may not even have it now. You may be sitting there watching the television and saying, what is this guy talking about life after death? Let me ask you, what do you think? Because you're on your way there. And you may die tomorrow. You may die today. What do you think and what do you have in mind so that you may receive the gift of God's Spirit that you may be saved? St. Paul in 1 Corinthians writes, We have received the Spirit, not of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. 
and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who possess the Spirit. Now, if you wonder what he means there, read an article in the secular newspaper about some spiritual event that's taking place, the visit of the Pope or, or, or the celebration of some religious holiday or some religious event that's going on, and you'll see that for the most part, secular commentators are deaf, dumb, and blind when it comes to the interpretation of what a religious event is. They see it, religion, as a form of sociology. They see it as a social event. Now, that's partly true. But what's happening there is we're trying to interpret spiritual things to people who don't have the spirit. They're not going to understand it at all. They're going to make a mess out of it. St. Paul says, the unspiritual man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are to be spiritually discerned. The spiritual man judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord so has to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that St. Paul thinks that we're all above judgment. But a person cannot judge another person's spirit. You can't know. Jesus says, judge not and you shall not be judged. And least of all, can a person who knows nothing about the spiritual life, nothing about prayer, nothing about hope, nothing about faith, can they judge a spiritual person? We saw this at the death of one of the most remarkable spiritual people in the 20th century, and possibly the most, one of the most remarkable spiritual people in Western civilization. That was Mother Teresa. One of the networks, which should be ashamed of itself, which is always bashing Catholics, put on people who totally misunderstood Mother Teresa during her funeral. It was a vicious, misunderstanding of a holy woman who I knew half my life. It was a shining example of an unspiritual person attempting to understand the things of the spirit. You know, my mother taught me, if you don't understand something, keep your mouth shut. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about one of my favorite realities, which may not be part of your thinking, and that is the period of purification that may take place after death if our souls are not completely open to the grace of Christ, who is our Savior. The Protestant reformers attacked the idea of purification after death. That idea was very old in Christianity. In the East, St. Gregory Bishop of Nyssa and in the West, St. Augustine easily talked about the fact that souls after death are on a journey and we need to pray for them. Back in the catacombs, there are prayers scratched to the saints on the walls and prayers carved into the tombs asking God to bring to eternal rest those who had died. People sometimes say, well, if it's not in the Bible, I don't believe it. Well, here's a little quotation to think about. Also, 
by St. Paul, and he's talking about how we build a spiritual edifice in union with Christ, who is alone the foundation. He says, for no other foundation can anyone lay but that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And now if one builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each man's work will become manifest. For that day will disclose it. What day? The day of judgment. Because it will be revealed with fire and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation, which he has said is Christ, survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss for himself, but he will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, the temple which you are. He's talking about a purification after the day of judgment by fire. And there are several places in the scriptures where this is alluded to. Even our Lord himself says, if anyone commits a blasphemy, it will be forgiven him. But if he blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him in this world or in the next world, implying that there is some kind of forgiveness of sins in the next world. Now, this teaching had been distorted badly, scandalously, right before the Reformation, and the Reformers took great issue with it, particularly Luther. He, his Problems with the church began with the selling of indulgences for souls in purgatory, an absolutely hideous, horrible thing, terrible scandal. And yet I have to tell you that I'm looking forward to that purification. I don't save myself, but I can resist my own salvation. And even if I don't resist my salvation, I can be like the man in Corinthians that St. Paul talks about, that doesn't build with gold. He doesn't build with hay either. Whatever he builds with is going to survive the fire of judgment, but a bit scorched up. But I'm hoping that I will be saved as through fire. Now it's obvious that we're talking about fire after the death of a human being, but before the last judgment when the body is reunited, it can't be the same kind of fire that we are talking about on earth. And ancient people thought of fire as a binding, cleansing thing. And this experience, which is sometimes called purgatory, is one that I want to tell you that I'm looking forward to. Somebody said to me, are you prepared right this minute to stand in the perfect white radiance of eternity? I would say, by no means. One of my favorite Protestants, an Episcopalian, Dr. Johnson, Sam Johnson, was having an argument with Boswell, his biographer. And Sam was a great Christian. He's one of my Protestant saints. And Boswell said to him, the Catholics believe in purgatory. And Dr. Johnson said, and well they may, because most of the people we know are certainly not ready to go to heaven, and we hope they're not going to hell, so the Catholics must be right, there must be something else. The word purgatory 
is, is a, a late word. Purification is what purgatory means. In the Orthodox tradition, this is called the place of expiation. Nobody, except Pelagians who don't usually identify themselves, believes that any of us earns his salvation. Nobody believes that they earn it in purgatory or on earth or that you do anything to earn it yourself. Many times I hear Catholic teaching misunderstood that Catholics think they merit salvation. Can I read to you from the 25th canon of the Council of Orange, which was held in 529 and which in 531 was approved by the papal decree of Pope Boniface II in the papal encyclical Perfilium Nostrum. And this council, because it has this papal approval of a special kind, is considered to be binding on all Catholics as an article of faith. It's called De Fide Definita, defined faith. Just as we have a defined faith, say, in the virgin birth or in the Holy Trinity. These are defined by the Council of Ephesus and the Council of Nicaea. Can I read you part of the 25th canon of the Council of Orange? This sums it all up. In a word, to love God is God's gift. He unloved loves us and gave us the power to love. While we were displeasing in his sight, he loved us in order that we might have the power to become pleasing to him. For the charity of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. St. Paul in Romans 5.5 5. The Spirit of the Father and the Son, who we love with the Father and the Son. So according to Scripture, and the passages quoted above in the Council, and the definitions of the early fathers of the Church, we are obliged to preach and believe that through the sin of the first man, human freedom was so weakened and warped that no one thereafter can either love God as he ought or believe in God or do good for the sake of God unless moved previously by the grace of divine mercy. Our salvation requires that we assert and believe that in every good work we do, it is not we who have the initiative aided subsequently by the mercy of God, but rather that he begins by inspiring our faith and love toward him without any prior merit of our, our own. The Catholic faith, retreat, repeated by St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, repeated by the Council of Trent, that no one can merit the grace of salvation. No one can merit the grace of final perseverance. And in fact, that none of us can do anything at all good in the first place unless we have received the mercy of God inspiring us, calling us, giving us the beginning. So that in all that we do that is worthwhile unto eternal life, it is, to use the words of St. Paul, 
not we that act, but Christ that acts in us. I'm not making this up. This is the teaching of the Catholic Church. And I hear this teaching so misunderstood so often. The great Father Louis Bouillet, an old theologian now, and I read that quotation from his book. Father Bouillet went into a Catholic church and he heard a priest, a great theologian, preaching on salvation, on positive predestination. And he said, well, that's what I believe. The very famous Catholic writer Peter Kreeft was studying at the Calvin College in Holland, Michigan, and he had to do a term paper on Catholicism. He had read books on Catholicism, which were distortions. A very famous Protestant book called Roman Catholicism. Scott Hahn will tell you that it does not present the Catholic faith. And so Peter Kreeft went into the library of Calvin College, and there were the decrees of the Council of Trent, and he read them on salvation, and he said, why? This is what I believe. Oftentimes, all religious argumentative people somewhat distort the teachings of the others. The Catholic Church does not agree with the Reformers that human nature is totally wicked or depraved, and that it remains depraved, but only the eyes of God, by their divine mercy, see the human being as good when he is totally depraved. We do not agree with that. But we do degree, agree that human nature, broken and bowed by original sin, human nature, originally most pure and good, made in the image of God, that human nature, through the mercy of God, is restored by baptism and the other sacraments, restored by faith in Christ and by his grace, so that indeed Christ may act in us and do good. Now, these may seem like fine points to you. Perhaps they are, but they were the arguments on which the Reformation was really fought. Perhaps, as I pointed out, many Protestants are rather far from the Reformation right now. Many Catholics are far from the Catholic faith or understanding it right now. If we go back and find out what those arguments were, the ambience in which they were fought, we may be able to do something like the Catholic and Lutheran theologians just did, come up with a common statement on the meaning of justification. The Catholic and Lutheran theologians were trying to do that in 1535, 15 years after the beginning of the Lutheran evangelical church. Pray to the Holy Spirit that they all may be one. Pray that we may understand the conflicts that divided us. Pray that we may be saved. Whatever way is through that door into salvation, we know that the believing soul, repentant of their sins, walks into the hands of divine mercy. We also know that divine mercy can show itself in the last moments of life as it did so very dramatically with the death of the good thief on the cross. Personally, I hope and pray for the salvation of as many as possible. And the reason I hope this is because our salvation 
does not depend upon us. It depends on the mercy of God. But with the fathers of the church and with the Catholic and Orthodox theologians of modern times, I do believe that we can say no, that we have the freedom to reject the mercy and goodness of God. And that if we don't, it is because his divine mercy gives us the benefit of grace, calling us away from such a terrible, terrible fate. As I look at the mess the world is in, and as I look at the mess this country is in, I'm grateful that our salvation does not depend on us. And I pray with intensity and pain that we will not say no to God. But we will follow him who alone is the way, the truth, and the life. That every one of us will acknowledge in the depths of our being that we cannot possibly save ourselves. That nothing that we do could save us. But rather, that instead of such a silly enterprise, we would run with open arms into the loving hands of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that we will have the impulse, each one of us, to do this by the grace of the Holy Spirit. We all agree, ultimately, that we are not saved by works. We all agree, ultimately, that we are not saved by faith. And we are not saved by faith and works at all. We are ultimately saved by the mercy of God which is given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. That we make ourselves available to that mercy by faith in him. And that we honor him by the doing of those works which he calls for in the Beatitudes, in the parables, and in his most holy life. So that our faith is not an empty show. But let's all of us agree, which we must agree, that salvation comes from him. As the Samaritans said to that kind of silly lady who was sitting at the well, the lady with the five husbands, and she went down and she told him, I, I met a man who told me all my sins. And they said, well, go up and see him. And they said to her later, we have seen and we know and believe, not because of what you said, but because we have heard him, that this man is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. More great teachings and wisdoms from Father Benedict Groeschel on the Holy Spirit as we spotlight his 90th birthday celebration weekend. I'm Ace McKay, and as we continue Catholics coast to coast while we continue to celebrate Father Benedict Groeschel, of course we know that he has inspired us and his teachings continue to spread throughout the world, but also, you may not have known this, he was given credit by disco queen Donna Summer for inspiring her song Cats Without Claws that she wrote as a prayer seeking the Holy Spirit. So a little fun fact as we head into a quick break, but when we come back, more teachings from Father Groeschel as he helps us to understand what the Bible means when it talks about seeking first the kingdom of God. More of our celebration of Father Benedict Groeschel next on Catholics Coast to Coast. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN Radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. 
The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Hello, I'm Father Benedict Rochelle of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal from the South Bronx. And this is the 13th and last segment of the series that we've been doing on Seek First the Kingdom of God. We began this series by talking about the idea of dynamisms, something that is a bit of a departure from where psychology and the behavioral sciences have been for a number of decades. And I was going back to the writings of some of the classic psychologists of the past, particularly Dr. Gordon Allport of Harvard University, but a number of other people in recent times who have touched upon the forces of life that generate human thought, aspiration, struggle. And so in order to make this simple, or I try to make it simple, I use the word dynamism. Now you can't cut somebody open and find a dynamism any more than you can cut them open and find an id ego or super ego or a genetic unconscious, or a thought for that matter. But it's an idea that brings together biological, neurological, physical, psychological movements of a human being that cause them to exist and be able to make judgments. The ones we looked at, and there are many, are the desire to live, the impulse to live, the desire for happiness, the desire to love and to be loved, the thirst for God, the thirst for a Messiah, a God or a Son of God who suffers. And in that one, I explained to you that I was theoretically presenting a Christian dynamism, which can only develop and be part of another dynamic system, which I think would be the system of life. We spoke about the desire for life after death, and then when that desire becomes focused by revelation, the desire for eternal life. There are many others. There is a dynamism that seeks security. It's a dynamism that seeks acceptance by other people to be recognized. There's a dynamism of possession, which sometimes gets way out of hand. These are different energy traits, energy systems of human beings that differentiate us from the other creatures on the planet and make us go ahead. Now my goal was to link these to the phrase of our Lord, the command of our Lord, seek first the kingdom of God. And the problem is that if a person's not integrated, if their dynamisms are basically not going in the same direction, they will be all over the place. And our Lord says this very, very clearly. Uh, it is a, a statement in Matthew 12, 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. 
and the writings of many of the ascetics and saints of the past, including St. Augustine, St. Bonaventure, St. Gregory of Nyssa. There's the idea of us being scattered all over the place. And if we can get our different dynamisms and the force of our personality and energy together in one good direction, we would grow, we would be more open, we would be more receptive to grace, we would be able to make progress in seeking first the kingdom of God. Now the first thing that anybody ought to do is take a look and see where their desires are. Our Lord says in the Gospel, where your heart is, there your treasure shall be. And you probably will find that you want to be a good disciple of Christ, you want to be a good Christian. The trouble is we want other things beside. We want comfort. We want acceptance. We want recognition. We want peace. One of them I forgot to mention, the desire for peace and happiness. I, I want to be a good Christian, but I don't want to carry the cross. Or if I have to carry the cross, please give me one that's, you know, a fiberglass or styrofoam or something, has a little wheel on the end, perhaps in a pastel or earth tone. We want to be comfortable on our way into eternity. And frequently, this stands very much in the way of our seeking first the kingdom of God. Cardinal Newman, that very perceptive spiritual psychologist, tells us that God's providence has a place for each one of us. He says, I'm as important in my place as an angel is in his. I may not know what it is I'm called to do, but I will know it in the next world. And I will do what I am supposed to do if I only keep the commandments and follow God's will. But keeping the commandments and following God's will is a very, very tall order. And you want to be careful of something that Dr. Allport identified years ago, and that's external religion. There can be people who are very busy about religion. They're intrigued by religion. Everything they do is religious. But there's little inside. And they have little of the life of the Spirit. The Sermon on the Mount is aimed at these people. It says, go into your room and close the door, and your Father who sees in secret will see you. Our Lord constantly calls for an interior religion. And when Christianity has been discredited, and has been discredited many times by almost all of its followers, it's because other people hearing us preach a spiritual doctrine see us preoccupied with the external things of the world. Every Christian denomination that has a spirituality worthy of mention teaches that the life of the Spirit is first of all interior, in the heart, in the soul, in the mind, in the desires, in the hopes, in the dynamisms. And once that's true, then you can, be do to, do to, can begin to do good things outside. Outside my little house where I live, at the retreat house, I have a little hermitage on the side, sort of. 
I have a stone and on it it says, do not do great things. Do little things with great love, Mother Teresa. And it's, it's an important sign to remind me that we're all doing little things, but we do them with great love. I think if you asked our Holy Father, who's traveled throughout the world, who's seen greater numbers of people probably than any other person alive on the planet today, probably seen and been in the presence of more people, perhaps than any human being who ever lived. And you asked him, did he do great things? If his own writings tell you what he would say, he would tell you, no, I've only done little things and tried to do them with love. What does it mean to do things with love? It means that we do things in order to please God and to help our neighbor. It doesn't mean that we have to be a patsy. It doesn't mean that we have to go through life smiling like a mannequin. It doesn't mean, first, most of all, it doesn't mean that we just have to be nice. Oh, sometimes you have to be nice. But the word nice comes from the Latin word for being stupid, nishire. It means to be stupid. And if Christianity is nothing more than being nice, it's never going to lead anybody to the kingdom of God. Was our Lord being nice when he said, the time has come and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Was he being nice when he argued with the scribes and Pharisees? No, or when he threw the money changers out of the temple. No, he wasn't being nice. Christianity is about being good. And it's important to remember that because as religious prejudice grows in the United States, and particularly hostility to the Catholic Church grows, we, and some of our critics and some of our slanderers obviously will not have goodwill. They will know that they are distorting the truth if they have any idea what the truth is. You still have to pray for them. Because Jesus says in the Gospel, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that persecute and calumniate you. When St. Thomas More was condemned to death by the, by the Privy Council under Henry VIII, he prayed at the end of the condemnation that he and those who condemned him, who had once been his friends, would all one day together be merry in heaven. That's forgiving your enemies. And we Catholics, we Christians, we religious people are going to have more and more enemies in this country and in Western civilization. The relentless attack of the media on religion and especially on Christianity and the church is going to lead to the rise of considerable religious prejudice. Some people will see with, through it and some people will not. But it will require of us that we take the words of the gospel very seriously. Do not worry about what you are to say because you will be given words and wisdom. And he says, how blessed are you than when men shall revile you and say all manner of evil things against you for my sake. 
be glad and rejoice. You know, that's a dynamic statement. How could you be glad and rejoice? Because every power in your being, the desire to live, the desire to be at peace, the desire to love and to be loved, all of these desires, including the desire for eternal life, come together. And this is why we see the remarkable thing of the martyrs rejoicing in their suffering. St. Peter says we should rejoice to suffer with him because he has suffered for us. This is in 1 Peter 4, the end of the, at the end of the section. Read it over and it, it, it is marvelous. Let us rejoice with him who has suffered for us. Now, St. Paul has done some beautiful things on integration. You know, St. Paul, as I told you at the beginning of this series, is psychologically the most interesting person in the Bible. Our Lord is the most mysterious person. But there's all sorts of things about our Lord that we can't know. And stupid people say, if you can't know them, then they don't exist. That's one of the dumbest things I ever heard in my life. Our Lord is a man of superlative and infinite mystery. Everything about our Lord is unfathomable, inscrutable, unprecedented, and even in heaven will be beyond our comprehension. You know, there are people around that will tell you what Jesus knew and what he didn't know. The Blessed Virgin Mary and eternal life, neither now or ever, will totally understand her son because he's infinite. But there's all sorts of people who took a weekend cram course in something and they know what Jesus was thinking. It's not very wise. But this fellow St. Paul, oh, St. Paul, I argue with him all the time. And I'm amazed. And I understand him because I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood and he's very Jewish. He says, are they Jews? So am I. Are they Pharisees? So am I. And he is. Loves to argue, loves to ask questions. The other day I was teaching in a seminary and nobody asked any questions and I said, I wish I had a Jewish seminary in here, I'd get a question. But St. Paul, he, he's got questions and he's got ideas. And just listen to this. Put off your old nature which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new nature created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Be renewed. Now, you know, when I was a seminarian, and many of us were going to be priests all our lives, when we became acolytes, as we were called, we were put, we, they put on us a white robe, and they said these words, put upon yourself the new nature which is created after the likeness of God, and the justice and holiness of truth. It was a white robe. It was supposed to symbolize to you that you were putting on a new nature. But I always behaved. The worst thing I ever did in school in my whole life was throw an eraser at another guy who was now a priest. So, you know, I, everybody was telling me I should be converted. Uh, if you grew up in my neighborhood, there wasn't much to be converted from, you know. Uh, we always went to mass every day. 
was later on that I got to know myself that I was one of these externally religious people and I had to work to put it inside. So as Dr. Allport says, now you have to go from being an altar boy to being a Christian. Nowadays I work with many young people, including brothers and sisters in our community, who, as St. Paul says, form a manner of life and corrupt through deceitful lusts. Yeah, they know about all that. I don't know. I wasn't there. So they know about it. And it's so beautiful. If you're a young person thinking of conversion, put on the likeness of God and the justice and holiness of truth, and your life will be changed. This Christmas, I, I gave a retreat to about 28 of our young brothers who haven't made their final vows yet. They're in temporary vows. And we had it up in a hermitage up in the Catskills, a little place. The land was given to us by a very fine lady, Rita Woodford. And we were up there in the mountains, quiet after the Easter, the Christmas rush of giving out things to the poor. And I said to the young brothers, you know, I don't deserve you guys. You're too devout, too prayerful, too obedient, too humble, too much in love with the poor, too filled with adoration of Christ, too devoted to the Eucharist and to the Blessed Mother, too loyal to the Pope. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. And what had happened? They had put on the new nature created after the likeness of God and the justice and holiness of truth. That's what I'm talking about, about getting the dynamisms together. That's what I'm saying. We have to do that. And St. Paul is good about this. He says, put off your old nature, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's what he's, he's great about. He says, then be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our divine Savior did not have to bring the dynamisms of his earthly life together. He was the Son of God. He is the perfect man because he is the Son of God of God. His person is always united to God. In this dumb age, you get people even as smart as cousin Sakas, who got excommunicated from the Greek Orthodox Church for his troubles, portraying Christ as some weak, confused, sniveling thing. This is ludicrous. It's a complete misunderstanding of the New Testament, of the early fathers of the church, and of the great ecumenical councils of the early church, Nicaea, Chalcedon, Ephesus, all the way up to the seventh and eighth century about Christ. It's stupid. Christ is the perfect one, the sm spotless mirror of God, the Son of God. He says, what well, one of you can convict me of sin? But look at the rest of the people around him. St. Augustine says, I will allow no mention of sin when it comes to the Blessed Mary, 
because of the dignity of her son. And it was Augustine who gave us the ideas from St. Paul of original sin. This is why the early Protestant reformers did not think that Mary had original sin, because of the dignity of her son. Now, now we have all this nonsense going on and everybody's confused. Go back to the faith. Open your Bible. If anybody doesn't have a New Testament of their own when this is over, I'm going to pray against them. I'll get the Carmelites to pray against them. Get a whole Bible. This is a beautiful Bible, Ignatius Bible. There's the, the New American Bible, Student Bible. That's very helpful. You don't have to get involved in a lot of complicated stuff. When God, when the Holy Spirit gave it to us, he knew that most of us who were going to read it are schleps, and he gave us enough to read it. And uh, for some reason or other, perhaps because of all kinds of skeptical teaching, people have stopped reading the Bible, or they listen vaguely to it. Please, I care whether you're a Protestant or a Catholic or Orthodox, if you're Jewish, read the Bible. Love the Bible. I'm convinced that the reform of Christianity and the reform of the Catholic Church in these days depends on people reading the Gospels on their knees with an open mind and a pierced heart. I can't tell you enough. And it will pull you together. It will pull together all of the dynamisms. And you will begin really to change. You will begin to change. And it will be very, very powerful for you in your life. I think it's important for us to realize that Christ alone is the one who leads us to salvation. But you and I, we have something. We have a life. Admittedly, it's been wounded by original sin. Admittedly, it has been more wounded by our own personal sin. But Christ is waiting there to forgive us and to give us his own grace. You know, there's a lot of talk about of, of people about what they're going to do for God. I, it always makes me sick. What am I going to do for God? Not much. Makes me sick. What is God going to do for us? And when I'm going around in airports and things like that, Kindly people come up and say to me, Oh, Father, I saw your program, or I watched EWTN, and it was very helpful. And I always say to them, I'm so pleased. I'm glad to know that it was helpful. But I want to tell you for sure that its helpfulness is the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm very grateful that people thank me but I'm much more grateful that the words have been helpful. Believe me, I may be stupid, but I'm not so stupid that I think I pulled this off myself. Left to my own devices, I know exactly what I would be. Do you ever ask yourself, what would you be without grace? Well, I wouldn't be a crook. I wouldn't be a confidence man. I wouldn't be a murderer. No. I'd be what my other identity is. I'm a psychologist. Maybe I'd be a psychiatrist. I would have had more time to study. And I'd be charging patients $150 an hour to lead them from misery to unhappiness. 
I'd probably be divorced twice because nobody could put up with me. And I'd have a couple of bratty, yuppie kids who wanted more money. And I'd be roaming around close to the age of 70, saying to myself, what's this about? I don't want to be that. I, 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 I have friends, good people, sympathetic, compassionate people who are in that boat and I pray for them every day. But I don't want to be that. No, not at all. Not for a minute. Because we know where we're going and we know how to get there and we know how to lift up our hearts and bring together the dynamisms of life to seek peace where it can be found to find love where it can be found, to love in the name of Christ. And we can do all of this because he has been merciful to us. I can't imagine a better text to end this whole series on dynamisms with. For this reason, this is by the way, St. Paul, Ephesians 3:14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Pray for me, and I will pray for you. And if you don't believe, I'll pray specially for you. And if you have some other beliefs, let's pray for each other. And those of us who have been given the faith of Christ, let us fall every day at his feet and ask him who alone can save and bless the world, to save and bless it right now. Amen. More great teaching from Father Benedict Groeschel as we continue in hearing and reflecting on what he brought into this world through his ministry and as we celebrate what would have been his 90th birthday this week on Catholics Coast to Coast. We are honored to be able to celebrate him, and you can find more of his teaching. Go to our on-demand section at EWTNradio.net and continue to listen to EWTN Radio to get more from Father Benedict Groeschel. As we, of course, celebrate our podcast central section, that's available online as well. So take that with you wherever you go this week. We'll be back again for more as the weekends and the summer continues. Remember to let God define who you are. Happy birthday to Father Benedict Groeschel, and thanks for listening to Catholics Coast to Coast.